This is the Podcast Inc. production. Booyah! This is the moment podcasting fans listening around the world have been waiting for. Coming to you not so live from a listening device of your choice. It's time! Podcasting out of this corner, a mixed martial talker, holding no professional record. He stands at six feet one and one half inches tall, weighing in at whatever he feels like, hailing out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, presenting the sometimes angry, always funny, Self-proclaimed podcasting champion of the world, Steve Fingerstyles! So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by Black Belt CBD. If you're into CBD products or you want to try CBD products for the very first time, go to blackbeltcbdproducts.com. Use promo code THEPODCAST25. They ship worldwide. They have everything that an athlete needs or wants. But if you're not an athlete and you're an everyday blue-collar worker or if you're someone that does, doesn't want to exercise and has aches and pains, works for you too. There's no THC. You won't get high, so you don't have to worry about that. So go to blackbeltcbdproducts.com. Like I said, use promo code THEPODCAST25. If you're into collectibles, memorabilia, signed Hockey cards, baseballs, anything you think of, wrestling, comic books, go visit firstrow.ca. They are a Canadian company I love to support. They are First Row Collectibles. And if you use promo code THEPODCAST20, you'll get 20% off. And like I said, they have everything, literal nerd culture. It's, it's all there. Video games probably too. I have no idea, but go check it out. Actually, I do. I don't think they do have video games. I don't know why I said that. But anyways, scratch that. They don't have video games. But they have everything else but video games. But I'm sure they have video game memorabilia, signed stuff, like all that stuff. And they update daily. So if you go check it out every day, it's a pretty cool website. And like I said, if you're a nerd, you'll, I'm sure you'll find something that you will like there. And if you want to support me directly, please go to tpublic.com and buy some merchandise. I got everything that you need. But... If you don't want to go to Tee Public and that's too much hassle for you, scroll down on your device. It's embedded right there in the description of this episode. Click on it. It takes you directly to the website. Like I said, all merchandise you want, T-shirts, hoodies, sweaters, uh, blankets, pillows, phone cases, anything you need or want is there. So go check that out. It really helps me and that goes directly in my pocket. And obviously the easy stuff, the most Stuff that costs nothing, it's free of charge, and it takes you two seconds. Rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms, but mostly Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So, this week's guest has written 10 books, I believe, with one on its way. Acclaimed author, Brett Weiss. Hey, how's it going? How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Just, uh, you know, working at home, being a freelance writer... I'm kind of having an advantage uh, with the uh, virus, you know, and all this going on. People staying at home. Right. I've got plenty to do for sure. And, you know, being a gamer helps as well. 
<laughs> right? And like they say, for all those gamers who have a backlog, this is now the time to catch up, right? No doubt. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, not hilarious because of what's going on, but I don't know when this is going to air because of being off. I'm having all this opportunity with people being home and being available. So I'm literally taping four or five episodes this week and I air only once a week. So I don't know right. when I'm going to air these, but hopefully it'll still be in just because I really don't try and talk about what's going on in everyday life. I try and focus on the guests and what they've been up to so people could go check them out and hopefully gain some more audience and so forth and so on, right? So with that being said, you are a writer. When did you know you wanted to be a writer? When did this all begin? When did it start? Well, when I was a kid, I was always interested in books and reading. My mom would take me to use bookstores and I would buy uh, I bought a copy of the Guinness Book of World Records when nice. I was a kid, and that okay. was absolutely fascinating. <laughs> right? That got me, yeah, I mean, the world's largest this and that, and the guy with the longest fingernails, and all this crazy stuff. <laughs> you know, it was just, it freaked me. When we were little, uh, you know, the Guinness Book of World Records and Ripley's, believe it or not, were the only places you could really find weird stuff before the internet. <laughs> True. You're right. So, yeah, yeah. And so, but I liked, you know, Peanuts, Paperbacks, the Charles Schultz stuff, and... Right. Um, uh, Dynamite Magazine was a big influence. Uh, Electronic Games Magazine was a big influence. You know, nice. all these uh, books, magazines, I loved all that stuff when I was little. And I had, uh, I had um, like bronchitis and things like that that would keep me inside in the winter. And so I would spend that time reading, watching right. TV or whatever. So I really got into pop culture. And um, so I grew up, you know, being supported and surrounded by books because of my mom. And going to bookstores, okay. very interested in reading, and um, I always had in the back of my mind it'd be cool to write, but I never really got serious about it uh, until the early 1990s, and I started writing some fiction for um, different small press magazines, and had a little bit of success with that here and there. My first sale was in 1997, a whopping $10 for a short story I sold <laughs> to, an on, to an online magazine. And um, I've got a book right now called The Arcade and Other Strange Tales. That's just a collection of those early short stories that I wrote. All right. Yeah, and then further into the 90s, I started writing for um, The All Game Guide. That was an online database okay. whose objective was to describe like, and review every single video game and computer game ever. That cool. was in 1997. My brother-in-law sent me an email with the um, information about that. Okay. Started writing for them. So much, I became an editor with a website. I was able to quit my job at Walden Books uh, to write for the All Game Guide and stay at home with my kids. So it was a great deal. Smart. And so that just sort of, uh, that and around that same time, I started writing for the Comics Buyer's Guide. Oh, wow. Which was the longest running publication, you know, comic book publication. They're gone now like so many other magazines. Sure. The All Game Guide is gone. Mm -hmm. But, you know, just in, in the interim, I, you know, found different magazines and newspapers to write for and started writing books and all that kind of stuff. Oh, that's pretty cool. So what about video games? When did that start? Um, that was with the All Game Guide, 1997. Okay. As far as playing video games? Right. Um, yeah, okay. So 1975, oh, wow. I discovered uh, in the arcades, I'd already been playing pinball and electromechanical machines, sure. like the little baseball game with the with the actual physical little bat. That oh, you would, yeah, yeah. 
you know, hit the little metal ball into targets and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the racing games that were very physical with a big steering wheel. And the play field was actually a solid object and it would sort of rotate and there would be physical lights and things. Oh, wow. And so, you know, and it would move on a belt as far as the inner workings of the game goes. So it was electromechanical and pinball. I'd already been playing those since I was a little bitty. Mm-hmm. But in 1975, I discovered uh, in the arcades, I discovered Pong, Midway's Gunfight, and then right. in 76, Breakout and uh, Sprint and those kind of games. And But it's funny, in 75, so the same year I discovered Pong and, uh, uh, you know, some of those other games in the arcades, mm-hmm. My, uh, we went over to my cousin's house for right after Christmas of '75. This was right at the end of the year, right. and he had got Atari's Pong for Christmas, and it came. That was the year it came out. That was when it was new. Wow. And he showed. He, we came over, and he said, "Hey, come, come check out in my room. Uh, see what I got for Christmas." And we go over there, and he's got a. He was one of these kids that you know his parents, his mom just bought him whatever he wanted. Right. <laughs> and so he had a TV in his room back in 75 which was pretty unusual for a kid back then. I know. And um yeah, and so he showed us he had Pong. Mm-hmm. And before that moment, I didn't know you could play a video game at your house. I thought you had to be out somewhere like in a bowling alley or a, right. or an arcade <laughs> or a skating sense. rink. Yeah, because who knew? You exactly. know, I didn't know about the original Magnavox Odyssey that came out in '72. I never, mm. I didn't. Nobody I knew had that, right. and the handhelds hadn't come out yet. Mattel that yeah. started putting out the handheld football and basketball sure. and all that. They didn't start till '76 with oh. Auto Race, okay. and so in '75, I had zero knowledge that you could play a video game in a house. So when he had oh. that Pong, that was fascinating to me. My God! So okay, I know we have something in common. My first video game system I ever owned was a ColecoVision. Was that yours as well? That was the first one I actually owned, yes. And okay. eighty Christmas of 82, I finally got that. Because before that, I'd just been going over to my friends' houses playing their Ataris and their Intellivision sure. and their Odyssey 2s. And even Fairchild Channel F. My two best friends had a Fairchild Channel F at 76. What's but that? Yeah, I've never it heard was of a that. Fair, yeah, it was, it's called Fairchild Channel F. Okay. And that was a cartridge-based programmable system that came out in 76 so it predated the atari 2600 wow but it was the first game uh, game system that was fully programmable with separate cartridges you know and um you know and it was uh but yeah my two best friends each had one you know very crude simple games but i mm-hmm. loved it and but yeah the first one i actually owned was 82 for the ColecoVision. So that was the year it came out, was 82, because I was still two years old. So when I first started playing ColecoVision, I was like maybe four or five, as I remember. And I have older uh-huh. brothers, so they're the ones who bought it, obviously, right? So right. I didn't know what came out in 82. Like, I know no history about ColecoVision. I tried looking stuff up online, and you know how it is online sometimes, if it's not a credible source and this, this, and that. But I know you know your shit. So it came out in 82. What was the base price when it first came out? So when the ColecoVision came out in 82, I started seeing the commercials in summer of 82. Mm. And... Um, at our local Toys R Us, it was one night one. Let's see, it was one eighty nine ninety nine. Wow. Now I, I know, and it was <laughs> I, it was at certain other places. It was two hundred, two twenty. Sure. But when I first saw it at Toys R Us, it was one eighty nine ninety nine. And the first I knew of it when I started seeing commercials in that summer of uh, eighty two, and our money was limited, mm-hmm. and our you know we had a good, nice house, nice cars, and sure. you know everything. We had everything we needed. But my parents were pretty tired as far as extras go, yeah. and so Same we had to mine. raise our own money. And yeah. I would, you know, find bottles on the side of the road yeah, of and course. turn those in for you know money. Yeah. And um, <laughs> well, I mowed yards and you know did all kind of raked yards. Yeah. I, I even uh, cleaned out attics. You know anything to make money. And so 
uh, I finally was able to, my parents wouldn't spend any more than a hundred dollars on Christmas. So between their hundred dollars and the hundred dollars I gave them, (laughs) I had a ColecoVision under my tree for Christmas of 82 and I was, I was 15. So that was really exciting. So what games did you have for it? I got to know now. Well, of course it came packaged with Donkey Kong. That was the pack in card. Right. And the game I wanted more than any other. Mm -hmm. And I got that as well. on that Christmas was Mousetrap. That was an excellent, excellent maze game, and it was almost identical to the arcade. It was a near-perfect port. Oh, I didn't even know it was in the arcade. I just played it on the Coleco. Yeah, it was. I discovered it uh, when it, it was like a early 80s arcade game, uh, uh, 81 or 82, something like that, and um, probably 82. And um, it was a, just a really cute, colorful, really exciting maze game, you know, like yeah. Pac-Man or Lock and Chase or something like that. And, uh, you know, cartoonish graphics, really colorful. And it was a, just a ton of fun, and it was really challenging. Yes. And, you know, it had the three buttons, the color-coded buttons used to open the doors of the mm-hmm. maze. Yes. Well, on the ClickVision, that worked perfectly because you had the overlay uh, that would, you know, and you could push the buttons on the uh, keypad on the ClickVision. So it worked really well to have a lot of buttons on the ClickVision controller as opposed to, like, the 2600 controller. So, yeah, Mousetrap and Donkey Kong. And, and when I got them for Christmas... I played them all night long, uh, sat on my beanbag chair on the living room, uh, playing those two games all night long. Right. And I woke up with the biggest crick in my neck, and my <laughs> eyes were blood red and everything, but it was well been worth there. it. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, I've been there, done that. So what about the controller itself? Did you like it? Because I found it very clunky, and I don't know, because I had this conversation with someone else too, and maybe because I was younger at the time, but my finger would always get caught underneath the knob. I don't know if you remember. <laughs> Like, you know what I mean? Because there's that big yeah. gap under there. And if you're a small right. child, and I have small fingers to begin with, so yeah. it would always get caught and I always get pissed and everything. And then I found it clunky because you had to hold it like a, almost like a walkie-talkie to use the, right. the two yeah. buttons. Like, you know what I mean? So I don't know. Good how, analogy, yeah. how did you feel about the controller? Well, I was 15 and I was tall and everything. So, you know, <laughs> I, um, I can see why a little kid might have a problem with it. And it was right? it's kind of wide. So to, yes. to wrap your hand around it, it's kind of wide and but I absolutely love that controller, and I Ooh. still do. And I know I know the problems with it, and objectively, I can see why a lot of people don't like it. But right. um, they've you know they've made modded ones over the years where you can get a ball top joystick, right. and everything. Yeah, and um, and I know you know some games you can just plug in a Sega Genesis controller, oh. and you yeah like so games that are like uh, Galaxian mm-hmm. or something like that that don't have a whole lot of buttons. You know, you just push the fire button and sure. move back and forth. Yeah. It works great with the Sega Genesis controller. Oh, wow. You know, but anyway, I love the ClickVision controller. I, you know, yeah. I never had any problem with it. And it, it could be that I was just so excited for the system. Right. And just and I'm so nostalgic now that, that it's never bothered me at all. But I can definitely see why some people wouldn't like it. Right. And well, here's some of my favorite games I had on it was Ladybug was a big one. I, I love Thanks. that one. That's uh, my favorite for the system. Really? Oh, okay. That's pretty Ladybug, cool. Yep. My favorite, I think, is Gorf. Oh, excellent. Yeah. I love that one because I wasn't really into uh, the other asteroid-type games that were the shooting, the upward shooting or whatever the, the, you call it, the genre. Space Invaders type game. Yes, exactly. I, I never got into that. But Gore, for some odd reason, was just something that I loved. And Gore was the first time that I knew that you don't spell Colonel with an R. <laughs> <laughs> because of the rating right. system, right? And always yeah, like, that's say video games can teach, right? <laughs> you learn things from video games. <laughs> well, oh. I remember I played uh, Treasure City. Uh, there was a like a department store near our house called Treasure City when okay. I was a kid, and when my parents would go to it, and um, they had a uh, Gorf out in the lobby, you know, out as you walked in, you know, sure. back then, grocery stores, every every place had arcades in the oh. early eighties. 
And yes, so they had right. a, a Gorf. And so when they had a really nice port on the ColecoVision, I was really excited about that. See, again, I again being a child and not knowing and then not doing my research myself and going back, I never knew half of these games on the ColecoVision were from the arcades. And I... Again, I came later to the game, obviously, than you did, and I didn't really get the whole just of the Atari 2600. So to me, I have no love for it. And I know you have lots of love for it because it was, like you said, it was one of those things that was just an aha moment, like when the Nintendo came around, when the PlayStation came around, sort of those type of things, right? Exactly. So, but Coleco was the jam. And I always found that Coleco had better graphics than Atari, and it was just, the games were just more fun. I, I, I don't know if that was just me or because it was my first system, and I just have that nostalgia, right? Yeah, I, I love the ColecoVision. It's, it's my favorite classic system, and part of that's okay. nostalgia, but part of it's just, I mean, excellent arcade ports, and I really like that they ported some really obscure games like Cosmic Avenger, Looping, mm. uh, Victory, all these games I never played in the arcades originally. Right. You know, and then they came out with these ports of these obscure games. It's kind of funny because, like, the Atari 5200, I really like that as well. Okay. But but I was, you know, kind of tired of Dig Dug, kind of tired of Space Invaders, kind of tired of some of these I'd played over and over, Pac-Man. So when the ColecoVision had all these obscure arcade ports on it, Mm. these were like brand new games I'd never played anywhere before. So it was really exciting. That's cool. All right, let's touch on some of your books here because you got a whole ton of books that I want to touch on. I don't know how you want to do it, but I'll just bring up a book and then maybe riff on it, what it's about, what people could expect from it, and then go from there and see where it leads down the, the road. Okay, I might, I might make a suggestion to sure. start with the, the original classic home video games book, Go 1972 through 1984, because okay. that, that was my first book. In uh, 2006, I was at the San Diego Comic-Con, right. and it was my first and only San Diego Comic-Con I've ever been to, but okay. I really wanted to go because it was the 50th anniversary of the Silver Age Flash, mm. it was the 75th anniversary of Universal Monsters, and just all this other cool stuff going on. The Flash Gordon people were there from the 1980 movie. Wow. All this, you know, a lot of my favorite stuff was sure. going on there. And so I went, and um, I was, you know, I'd already been uh, writing for magazines and newspapers and all these different publications at that point. So I was armed with business cards, and, you know, it was a business trip as well. Mm-hmm. And so McFarland Publishers was set up there, and I gave him a business card. And uh, I told them, I said, uh, you know, if you guys, they, they publish all these entertainment uh, reference style entertainment books. And I said, if you guys ever need, I didn't know how the whole thing worked at the time. I just said, if you ever need any help with, you know, a, an expert or, um, you know, some help writing any of these reference books, here's my card. Sure. Well, she emailed me back three days after I got home and said, do you have any book ideas? <laughs> I was like, wow. I sure do. <laughs> and so that's where that was that ultimately resulted in the classic home video games book, the, the first volume, 1972 through 1984, which is like an encyclopedia-style book with okay. every game for every system oh, wow. uh, from the pre-NES era. So the Fairchild Channel F, the Atari 5200, okay. ColecoVision and Television, Vectrex, all those old systems. Sure. It has a write-up of, about the system itself, okay. and then every U.S. release for each console wow. has like a encyclopedia-style entry, like a capsule review, that kind of thing. And this was the first book to completely catalog uh, and you know have a write-up for every single game for systems like the ColecoVision, Atari fifty-two hundred, mm-hmm. Atari um, seventy-eight hundred, Atari uh, like um, now Leonard Herman had already written a, an Atari twenty-six hundred book, ABC okay. to the VCS. That was comprehensive, but my classic home video games book was the first one to cover all the other systems in mm-hmm. television. None of those systems had had any books with write-ups for every single 
game. And there, at the time, there weren't even websites with all that information either. So it was the, really the first of its type, you know. No, no kidding. And again, how long does it take you to write a book like this? Because this is a, like a big chunk period and a lot of game systems. How do you do all this research, man? It, it is crazy. I've got a really big uh, game room in my house with a massive collection, and I've okay. borrowed a lot of games over the years from collectors, store owners. Mm-hmm. Um, I've bought lots of instruction manual lots off eBay where sure. if I didn't have all the information on a game, going to the manual itself is a really good way. Okay. Um, if there's levels I can't reach, I'll watch long play videos on YouTube, you know, oh. for some of uh, my books just to get more information about the later levels that I didn't reach or whatever. I'll use sure. cheats, you know, to uh, advance past certain hard games. Um, I use all kinds of tricks, you know, just to, you know, get the information, play the heck, the, play the heck out of the games and all that kind of stuff. I'll typically, typical routine is playing the games in the evening and then getting up and writing about them the next morning. Uh-huh. That's been my, um, go-to method for a long time and the first classic home video games book originally i was gonna it was gonna be bigger it was gonna be this massive book with a super short write-up about every game all the way up until just like the 16-bit era or something but but mcfarland suggested i divvy it out into multiple volumes which made a whole lot more sense i could make the write-ups a little longer the books wouldn't be so massive so that led into classic home video games 85 through 88 those cover t- uh, dates refer to when the consoles themselves were released. Just that window of time sure. when those consoles came out. Within each book, every game is covered for those systems. So, And then you've got the next book in the series, Classic Home Video Games, 89 through 90. Right. That narrow window was because uh, um, Genesis, Neo Geo, and Turbo Graphics all came out in 89. And then the oh, Super Nintendo came out in 91. Right. So that would be a separate thing. Sure. So that... Uh, that book covers every game for those three systems. Um, so I just did that wow. series, and I was gonna continue that series uh, with the next with a vol- with a fourth volume covering the Super Nintendo, mm-hmm. the 3DI, the uh, or the 3DO, the CDI, and the Jaguar. Right. So those all came out, you know, around the you know near the same time. But instead, I went to things that progressed in retro gaming books over the last couple of years. There's these big copy table books, full color. Mm-hmm. More companies have gotten involved, and that's what people are expecting. Because when I started my first book in 2006, there were hardly any retro games published, or retro gaming books published. Right, I can most, imagine. And, and most of the ones that were, were black and white, you know, just soft covers or whatever. Sure. And so things have changed a lot. And so instead of doing a fourth classic home video games book, I started the SNES Omnibus Volumes 1 and 2. Mm. And so those are loaded down with screenshots, quotes from old magazines, stories from YouTubers, programmers, other authors, things like that. So those are the SNES Omnibus books, you know, much bigger production. And you're asking how long each book takes to write. It's between a year and two years. So, you know, I've been at it since 2006 and it's 2020 now and I'm, concurrently working on my 11th and 12th book and i do it um sort of on a part-time basis i mean i work on them a lot but i've also got you know i'm a journalist and writing for magazines and newspapers and that's my main job and um i also do have some other side hustles like uh i've got a booth in an antique mall and that kind of ties in well with what i do because i write for antique week and um you know i do all kinds of stuff you know as a writer to to remain a professional writer Unless, you know, you're Stephen King, you have to have a few side hustles just to kind of, you know, help out. I've started YouTube recently. That's Mm -hmm. been fun. But anyway, yeah, so back to the books. Uh, 
So instead of, ha- like I said, instead of having a fourth volume of the classic home video game series, right. I did the SNES two-volume set, and now I'm currently working on the S, or excuse me, the NES Omnibus, which yeah. is going to be a two-volume set as well. The first volume will be out in the fall. So why did, you, why did you decide to do the SNES first before the NES? Wouldn't it make sense to do it in chronological order? That's a good question. Uh, the reason I, I did, it didn't even um, so. The reason I did the SNES book next was because the classic home video games books. Mm-hmm. The next logical progression of those books was going to be Super Nintendo. Oh, that, because that came out in okay. '91 after the Genesis right. and everything. Sure. So instead of doing that fourth volume, I went straight to the Super Nintendo. Yeah. And the publisher was so happy with the SNES Omnibus books that they're. Uh, I, I said, well, why don't I just do this for the NES as well? Because these have sold really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were a lot of fun to write and all these nostalgic stories. And a lot of people have. See, what these omnibus books have that my earlier books don't have are nostalgic stories from other people in the industry. Oh. Um, like um, just stories of growing up playing the games, right. uh, some stories about programming the games, you know, what it was like working on them. Mm-hmm. Um, some, you know, from. People like, uh, I mean, there, it's a laundry list of like uh, Ben Reeves, you know, the editor for Game Informer, wrote some stories for the books. Nice. Uh, best-selling author, John Jackson Miller, who mm-hmm. writes Star Wars and Star Trek books, he mm-hmm. wrote some stories. YouTubers like Kelsey Loon and John Riggs mm-hmm. wrote um, stories for the books. So these nice. are just these massive coffee table books. And so uh, the NES Omnibus just came out of the SNES omnibus, not from my earlier books, you know. So it was it's kind of a weird progression there, but that's sure. why. Because um, I just decided to start doing more uh, omnibus books. No, oh, that's pretty cool. Okay, so that does make sense then. Now, without tipping your hat, is there any other omnibus books in the making then? Um, so volume one of the NES omnibus will be out in the fall. Volume two will be out in the spring of next year. And yes, I have already started another omnibus Book. It's going to be a two-volume set, nice. and we'll see. Uh, when I get closer to that, I'll be able to announce of that. Course. <laughs> no, of course, I totally understand. <laughs> and I'm, it's funny because my publisher has some, um, you know, some. Of, I've got a couple of self-published books, like my book of short stories is self-published, and I've got okay. a couple of others. But these books, you know, they're by Schiffer Publishing, which is a pretty mainstream publishing house. So they definitely have rules about when I can announce things and stuff. Of course. So. No, I totally get it. <laughs> no worries here. Like yeah. I said, I'm not here to dig dirt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what's next? What did you come out next after Domni? Wasn't there something about the arcade and other strange adventures? Isn't that another one? So it's what that is. That came out. It's called the uh, the arcade and other strange tales. Oh, and tales. That was that's published. Right. That was published in December of 2017. And what that was, primarily, I wrote a couple of news stories for it, but it's primarily um, reworked, polished, uh, lengthened stories of, you know, those short stories I wrote for different science fiction magazines back in the 90s. Oh, okay. Science fiction and horror. They're basically Twilight Twilight Zone style stories. And I thought, you know, I've got all these stories sitting around. Why don't I get them out, polish them up? I'm a better writer now, so I can make them better stories. Makes sense. Uh, you know than I was back way back in the '90s. I, I mean, it just took practice. You know, years and years of writing where I've got it down. You know what I think pretty decent now. And so, you know, if you like The Outer Limits, Twilight Zone, oh, okay. uh, Stranger Things, that kind of stuff, sure. it's the kind of book you might like. Oh, that's pretty cool. And I, I got to touch on this one because this one's out of left field. The Encyclopedia of Kiss. Where did this come from? <laughs> 
Well, that's that's a good question. So I've always been. I mean, I was I've been a hardcore Kiss fan since '75. Oh, okay. '75 must have been a great year because I discovered uh, video games and Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. They're they're awesome. Uh, two two record a live album came out in '75, and I think my brother must have had it because I remember listening to it and it just blew my mind. Mm. And ever since then, I've just been a hardcore Kiss fan. I mean, when Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park came out on TV. Um, like in 78 that was just so amazing to me and everything they did was great i bought all the i couldn't afford like all the, the toys and stuff but sure. all the magazines and and records I, I bought those right when they would come out hardcore fan from day one or from you know at least for me from day one but uh, you know the, the band first album was in 74 mm. and 73 is when they formed and everything mm-hmm. and um so i was there for you know pretty early and i was reading the you know the different members of the band Ace Paul Gene and Peter mm-hmm. have written autobiographies recently. Okay, and so just a few years ago, I was um, reading their their autobiographies along with some other Kiss books, and it occurred to me that no one had ever written a Kiss encyclopedia. Mm. Grateful Dead, Rolling Stones, Elvis, Beatles, all these big iconic bands have sure. encyclopedias. At least one mm-hmm. for every uh, all those big bands, Beatles. Kiss is as iconic as any band, of course. And except for maybe the Beatles and the Stones. You know, Kiss is r- notch below, right sure. there. Of course. And, Everyone um, knows who they are. <laughs> yeah, huge band, and I thought, it's crazy that they don't have an encyclopedia. There's mm-hmm. not a Kiss encyclopedia. And so I thought, I need to write one. And so I, I, pitched, the pub, I pitched it to McFarland Publishers, who had uh, published my uh, classic home video games book. Mm-hmm. You know, I just told them, you know, there's this obvious gap in the publishing industry that this has never been done and so they love the idea and so i spent the next year year and a half the book was published in 2016 and i spent the next year year and a half compiling uh information watching tv shows and movies that the band members themselves had appeared in okay um watching commercials they've been in listening to interviews reading books doing Mm -hmm. research and compiling all the important information about Kiss, every record, every song, every tour, plus all this obscure information that most people don't know about, like the fact that Peter Chris appeared in the Oz HBO prison drama, oh, wow. stuff like that. Right. So that Paul Stanley had done a Folgers coffee commercial, you know, just all this crazy stuff. And so right. just all this wealth of information, you know, in one place. Mm-hmm. And the book has been reviewed very well. Yes. And uh, it's, it's, it's a neat book, you know, if you're a Kiss fan and, as a matter of fact, um, I was on a podcast, uh, Three Sides of the Coin, a really popular KISS podcast, mm-hmm. and the main KISS collector on that show was saying, you know, he learned some new stuff from reading the book, so that oh, was nice. a big compliment. And so that was a fun, it was a labor of love, you know. Um, but yeah, so it, it kind of fits into my whole interest in pop culture, but it's, it's a little off to the left field, you know, as far right. as, it's not a video game book, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Did you ever get to meet the band? I met Paul Stanley twice back in the nineties, okay. and on um, and I met uh, Eric Carr, and uh, who passed away uh, in the early or ninety ninety one something like that. Mm-hmm. I've never met Gene Simmons, um, unfortunately. He was what we would do. So back in the eighties and nineties, we would follow bands back to their hotel, of course, and um, yeah, and. Uh, <laughs> Actually, I met Paul Stanley in the 80s. I think I said 90s, but I met yeah. him in the 80s. Okay. But it was after their makeup was off. Oh. And um, we would you know, we would go to all these concerts, and we would follow bands back to their hotel. 
And back then, it was a lot easier. There wasn't as much security. Of course. Nobody cared that much. Yep. You could meet the bands for free, and they would give you their autographs and photos and stuff. Mm -hmm. And on my YouTube channel, I've got an episode where I met Ozzy Osbourne. Oh, nice. And, yeah, his whole band. In 1986, we followed their uh, tour band out to a restaurant mm -hmm. about an hour west of Fort Worth. And they stopped to change buses. And they got out at this place called the Iron Skillet, okay. this just, you know, greasy spoon. Sure. And they got out and went inside, and we met them and got pictures and everything. And I've got a whole episode on my YouTube channel. And I'm oh, going to do cool. a Kiss one, too, talking about when I met, uh, the, you know, I've met Ace Freely at a comic book convention. and uh, But, yeah, I've never met uh, Peter or Gene, but I've met Tommy Thayer when he was in Black and Blue years ago. But uh, I'd, I'd like to, Peter and Gene, meeting them is on my bucket list, but I'm not going to pay meet and greet prices. Right. <laughs> I, might have to, I might have to do some more stalking. It's funny. Uh, Gene Simmons tweeted my Kiss book uh, okay. a couple of months ago. Apparently, he just discovered it, and it was sitting on top of a FedEx envelope. So either he had ordered it when he saw it. You know, he's a hardcore Kiss collector. He wants one of every Kiss item, sure. and including you know unauthorized books. Mm -hmm. And so either somebody sent it to him or he ordered it. But I thought it was kind of cool. He tweeted it, and all it said was, "Hmm." Uh. That was. All it. <laughs> That's all he had written. <laughs> I guess it's better than nothing, right? <laughs> hey, it was a, the book shot up on Amazon, you know, within hours of that tweet of nice. him tweeting that. So can't complain about that. And I didn't get sued, so <laughs> exactly right. Because yeah. again, I don't want to throw shade, but everyone knows that he's very a uh, proprietary type of guy. So if anyone tries to do anything, he'll he'll go after you. <laughs> he is, and the publisher was very careful not to put the bands logo on oh, their smart. on the cover okay it wasn't on the cover the logo wasn't on the cover and there was no photo of the band on the cover right it's just a silhouette of gene simmons uh on the cover it's not you know his face or anything and but on the inside you know there's lots of pictures of the band and logos and everything but on the right. cover you know they have these little rules and stuff of so course. but yeah so there's the only uh kiss book i've ever heard about getting in trouble was one that had some photo issues inside so but oh. you can you can publish Kiss books as long as you follow the rules. Oh, okay, that's pretty cool. What about any other bands? Do you have anything rumbling in your head that you'd want to do? Well, McFarlane asked if I wanted to do another, uh, you know, rock and roll uh, encyclopedia, and I would right. love to. But that Kiss one took so long to it. Oh, it was a grind. I mean, okay. it was it was fun, but at the same time, it was. Of course, the video game books are kind of the same way. They're fun, but a grind because there's just so much detail i don't want to get any facts wrong of course and there's so much research because there's so much inaccurate online mm. that i go to the games themselves i go to the and with the with the kids book i went to the source you know interviews with the uh, band members and when their stories would cross you know i would put both uh versions you know because the band members uh they'll say things that disagree with each other about their history of course <laughs> so i just had to do a ton of research to get it as accurate as possible and if i did another one it would be an aussie uh, encyclopedia i'm a huge aussie fan okay or aussie slash black sabbath but i just don't think i have time right now maybe someday it could be a, a, a cool project but currently i just don't have time makes sense i guess you can't do them all right as they say <laughs> There's so much, uh, you know, people are saying, hey, where's our Intellivision omnibus? I'd love to do that. Where's our TurboGrafx omnibus? And the funny, and that's perfectly understandable. But a lot of people say, why don't you do a book on imports? I'm like, I'm only one person. <laughs> I know. It's not like something you could outsource and like video game reviewers where you could get a team and just review everything all at once. Where yeah. it has to come from your view, your opinion, you know what I mean? So you got to do it. There's just not enough time. 
Well, with with the omnibus books, what I did what I did was if there's a game where I, I basically just wrote a synopsis, mm-hmm. I would have maybe some other people. That's where their stories come in handy. Where you know they'll right. do their little reviews, and I'll also quote other magazines, and I'll quote some websites. And that sort of gives you a, a more fleshed out look at each game, mm-hmm. as opposed to just my opinion or just the synopsis. So you know, more of a wide variety of um, opinions with the omnibus books than you do uh, the classic home video games books, because there's just more room you know every game gets a page no that's true because now i'm because I, I i'm a cheapskate but after talking to you i'm going to go actually purchase some of your books because i love reading as some people might know and right now as of this recording you released retro pop culture a to z which you could get for free now if you follow brett on twitter you'll go to his youtube page do all that fun stuff click on his thing hopefully it's still for free if not then purchase it because it's worth it and as soon as I started reading it, this is again, I, I had, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Rayon Ali. He wrote the NBA Jam book that recently just got oh, released. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've heard about that. Okay, so I had him on the show too and we talked about it. To me, a good book is when I can't put it down. You know how sometimes, uh-huh. like, I don't know, I'm one of those guys when I'm reading a book because I bought it, I force myself to finish it even if I don't like it because I spent money on it. So again, right. being a cheapskate, you know what I mean? I got to get my money's yeah. worth even if I don't like it. But in your case, I started reading it. I'm like, okay, l- let me see what this is all about. And I go through it and I'm like, no, this is, I didn't even want to stop. Like, I think I was on letter B or C by the okay. t- in one sitting. And I was like, how did I just read like 40, 50 pages? And it felt like in 10 minutes, right? But I love the way you, like you said, you put it out. You have, and even your little nuances you put in towards the end where you're like your own uh, memory of what happened during that time. And I think that, like, I know how you said it's good to have other people's stories. But to me, people want your story because they know that you're legit and they have read your other stuff. So you're like, oh, I want to know what Brett's about. I want to know this and that. And I think sometimes that's better for an author than just getting everyone's different stories. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the, in the omnibus books, um, I have, there's several different things. So there's the synopsis by me. And a lot of times the synopsis will include my review. Mm -hmm. And I also have a section memories. So a lot of the games will have my individual distinct memories of certain games. I love it. You know, so there's a lot of my own memories in the omnibus books as well. Because then people could relate. And then they're not like, again, growing up when we grew up, we didn't have the internet to see what people liked or what they didn't. We would just read. And if we had friends and we, you'd hear tales of stuff. Like I remember finding out some stuff. Again, speaking of NBA Jam, secret players that someone said, oh, you know that this person's in the game? No, he's not. And then you find out right. they are. But now people are spoiled and they don't know. But back then it was yeah. like finding out as you go and all this. And then to know that someone also thought that as a child, was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Because again, we didn't have means to show our feelings and to relate sort of, right? Right. It was all on the playground. Right. Your friends and stuff. Exactly. And then unfortunately, again, being a gamer growing up, sometimes you don't have friends and that's why you gravitated towards video games. Like, you know what I mean? Right. So who do you have to share it with? (laughs) (laughs) Well, so you did, you downloaded the digital copy of, uh, Retro Pop Culture yes, A to Z. Of course. Yeah, anybody can do that. If you go to my website, brettweisswords.com, or follow me on Twitter, Twitter, Twitter or whatever, <laughs> you can find a link to that because I just wanted to give, you know, everybody's stuck at home right now, a lot of people. Right. And you've got more time on your hands than usual, and reading is a good way to pass the time or just have something fun to do. So I wanted to give away the digital cut version. And there's actually an advantage to have the digital version of this because this is a self-published book. Okay. So, the, you know, it's black and white and everything. The digital version actually has color photos for what oh, that's worth. So that's cool. Anyway, it is, I, I want to give – I'll probably just leave that for free for a couple of months oh, there you for go. anybody okay. that wants to check it out. So just go to brettweisswords.com. You can find it. 
Yeah, and there you go. And that will lead to, I'm sure, other people buying more of your other books too. And then, again, how they say the wormhole and it leads to another and then it snowballs. So that's perfect. Yeah. Well, I'm not 100% altruistic. I, you know, I want people to read this and think, hey, maybe I'll like some of his other books too, you know. So. Well, that's exactly what it is, right? you got a network, yeah. as they say. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so what about current gaming? Are you a current gamer or are you just strictly into retro gaming? I do have a Switch, okay. and I've played, um, well, on my Switch, I've played a lot of retro stuff, <laughs> but I've also, <laughs> I've also, I have played, I have Star Wars Pinball, which I'm loving, Okay. and my son has a PlayStation 4, which I've really enjoyed Spider-Man, and that's been a lot of fun, Right. and uh, what else I played on the PS4, but I've got a 360 that I've played a lot of cool stuff on, so yeah, i, I I keep current with the modern stuff. I don't play a ton of the modern stuff, mm-hmm. but when there's a title that'll grab me, uh, I will play. And I've and you know in the PS2 era, I was hardcore into God of War and Halo and all that. Of course, X- OG Xbox. I've got the Halo edition right. and everything, so I was really heavily into that. As far as super current, I'm um, like I'm I'm in no rush to get an Xbox One, and when the PS5 comes out, I'll be playing my Intellivision Amico that comes out. There <laughs> so. you go. I'm pretty retro, but I do I do keep my uh, I, I do pay attention to the modern stuff, and I do like to have newer consoles and stuff. So I play those when I can. Yeah. How about multiplayer? Because again, we come from a time when multiplayer was just couch co-op. So right. are you into the multiplayer? I don't do, I don't do any like I don't have uh, Xbox. Uh, I don't do uh, online gaming hardly at all. You know, sometimes I will if I'm somewhere where it's going on. But sure, like if I'm at home, I'll just go play something myself or with my son or something or maybe my when my nephew comes home we'll play and stuff but i don't i don't do much online gaming and i don't do any pc gaming at all haven't in years yeah as far I, as pc stuff goes I'm i just don't way. get on i mean i like uh i'm fine with solitary gaming you know just trying to beat my own high score right. i do like multiplayer gaming but usually it's couch co-op when that situation arises no of course and what about writing current video games is that an interest of yours well, I was writing for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram for a year, for over a decade. That's the major metropolitan newspaper in Fort Worth. And I would do quarterly uh, video game guides, like I would do a holiday gift guide. Oh, I would do a okay. summer reading guide, sure. a spring, you know, what games are doing, all that stuff. So I would spotlight 10 new games coming out for the newspapers. So that would help me keep current with what was going on now. So that's that was pretty... but. The Star-Telegram has downsides, and they're not using much freelance work anymore, mm. so that's gone away. And they said everybody's just looking online for uh, current work. Um, you know, for current, for reading about gaming and movies and stuff, people are going online and not using newspapers. Newspapers are focusing more on local stories and, you know, everything negative. So entertainment has related stories have really... Uh, gone to the internet instead of newspapers and that's really hurt me writing for the star telegram i haven't written for them in a long time right. and I, I i'm just i don't write much about modern video games because uh, my specialty is definitely retro i do write for old there's a current publication called old school gamer magazine right. you can go there at oldschoolgamer.com and um you can subscribe their digital edition is free and uh, they do have a print edition as well. I, I do write. It's a quarterly publication that I still write for, so that's cool. Okay, so there you go. Okay, now I, ha- I have to ask you, what do you consider retro? What's the cutoff to be retro? Well, for me, I consider it anything before PS2 is retro. So like okay. maybe Dreamcast and back. Because see, PS2 still feels modern to me. It I does. mean, I can't play 
God of War and think this feels retro. This is like beautiful game. It's an expansive movie quality game. This is not retro, you know. And you could say sort of that with the Dreamcast, but not really. Mm -hmm. Soul Calibur kind of feels retro, you know. So that's just my personal cutoff point. PS2 forward is modern. But I can see why people might consider PS2 retro. You know, I can understand that argument. But to me, it still feels modern. So what's your top three systems? I know you said Coleco is one of them. ColecoVision, PS2, oh, and Atari 2600. Yeah, oh, love okay. those. And and the 2600 may be tied with the NES. It's hard to say. It's just, you know, if I had to have three, I would, uh, it'd be a tough battle between the 2600 and the NES because I still play those systems a whole lot. And I, I judge it by what I, what I play a lot. And those four systems, I play more than any of the others. And now, of course, you must be loving this whole retro thing that's going on where everyone's into the retro, even with all the mini systems and all that. Oh, right? yeah, that's great. It, it really, um, yeah, it feeds, into, feeds in perfectly to what I do. You know, it's resulted in Old School Gamer magazine. It's resulted in renewed interest. And, in, you know, my books continue to sell, excuse me, sell very steadily because of this. Publishers, back in the 90s, I tried to pitch a book about the uh, Sega Genesis and Super Nintendo. Mm -hmm. It was going to be just um, a book about those two consoles in the mid-90s. It was going to have a lot of game write-ups and console information and everything. Mm -hmm. Could not find a publisher. That's because those systems were on their way out. And in general, video game books weren't being published very much. So the retro Mm -hmm. explosion has made publishers interested more in video game books. So that's it's helped in a lot of ways. And you mentioned it too. The Miko's about to come out, so that's more sort of... What, what do you consider new retro? Like, how do you even describe well, it? Technically, retro can be a brand new game because it's inspired by older stuff and it's, ah. it, it evokes older stuff. It, it's not vintage. Like, the Amico gotcha. is going to be a retro console, but it's right. not going to be a vintage, vintage. console because okay. it's new. So, technically, you can consider it retro. Okay, and I know you've you're. You're looking forward to it. So, have you got your hands oh, on any pre models? Have you now they've been dropping all the new videos? I've had Tommy on before on the show too, but before he had, we, he wasn't sure about E3 yet and what was going on. Right. So now that it got canceled, I guess the new thing to do is just drop your own trailers online so then people get the views there, right? So now he's yeah. starting to drop the little hints. And in my opinion, I don't know what you think, but I'll go first since I'm no real professional. It looks pretty good. I think it looks great. Um, so, after the great video game crash of 1983, mm-hmm. around that time period, several uh, several projects that were in the works got canceled. There was going to be upgraded in television system with better graphics and oh. more modern. There, there was going to be a super game module for the ColecoVision, but they got canceled oh, wow. for the Atom. And there was going to be stuff like that. So to me, this is just that in the present, mm. you know. Old school type games that are easy to figure out, that are easy to play. You don't have to read a thick instruction manual or figure out what a million buttons do. You can just sit down and play it. Casual type gamer games, but challenging and very old school. It's it's basically what I what I thought would be really cool as a kid. Those kinds of games, but with better graphics oh, and sounds right. and more options. You know, right. stuff like that. No, it makes sense. And again, and they just pop because of obviously the HD and all that. So it doesn't look dull like the Atari and the Coleco did, right? Yeah. It's, it's just, you know, for hopefully younger people will think this looks neat. Um, right. Some people have said, well, these are just glorified cell phone games. I don't, I don't oh. think so. Uh, these are going to be really cool looking games on your big widescreen TV that do have some visual and play depth. They're not going to be as cinematic or as 
convoluted or as detailed as you know X, PS5 and Xbox Series X games or whatever. But it's a little different market. It's yeah. catering to two markets: casual gamers, mm-hmm. everyday gamers, families, those kinds of people, and uh, guys like me that grew up playing this stuff, and you know, retro enthusiasts. So maybe three categories. So <laughs> you know, there's there's subsets of these categories, but but in general, I think I think it's going to be a success. I think it's. I think so too. I mean, I wouldn't. I would call it above a niche item. You know, I think it'll. I think it'll get. I mean, a lot of big retailers have already signed on to carry this thing. Yeah. A lot of third-party publishers have stepped on board, so mm-hmm. it's going to be. You know, it's going to su- surprise some people. So now, do you think it's going to have a nice longevity and keep going, or do you think it's going to be like the Wii, where again another type of crash that happens because everyone owned the Wii after, right? Yeah. Well, these days it's hard to say. Consoles have. I've always thought consoles' life cycles were a little too short to begin with, because as soon as they're coming out right? with the PS3, yeah, as soon as they're coming out with PS3, I'm still playing my PS2, and I don't, I'm not ready for a PS3. <laughs> I'm the same. Don't worry. <laughs> that kind of thing. But this is probably going to be built to last because I don't know that there's going to be a rush to come out with an Amico 2, mm-hmm. and I don't. I think it has enough. It'll have enough of a audience that are that aren't hardcore gamers to maybe to keep it going. Right. Maybe it's really hard to say, you know, how long it'll last, but um, I think it's going to be a solid product that uh, it's going to be very entertaining to play. So that's the main thing. Yeah, exactly. Again, I can't wait. My our buddy Tommy was on the show too, so hopefully it does a huge success. Well, pretty much everything that guy touches is is a success. So I don't see this being a failure, right? (laughs) Yeah, he's a great promoter, and he knows a lot of people in the industry, and he knows marketing, and he knows quality products. So I have confidence in it. Perfect. And I, I would. I don't blame people for being skeptical or, or asking questions. Of course. But when people write it off automatically without yeah, that's not fair. like saying it's terrible, yeah. you don't know that it's terrible because you haven't played it yet. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's different than just honest criticism where you're thinking, well, that kind of looks like you know something I don't want or whatever. There's mm-hmm. a difference. Yeah, exactly, because I try and be the same way. I'm not one of those people that are like, oh, just because it's not my, my cup of tea, I throw it to the side and be like, oh, it sucks. It's like what, what exactly what you said. If I don't like it because it's not my type of genre or whatever, oh, it's, it's not my thing. But I could I, – and my whole saying is it's not my thing, but I could see people who would like it. Like you know what I mean? Yeah, especially if you haven't experienced yet. I mean I, I can right? hear a song and say, okay, that song is terrible yeah. because I actually heard it. Exactly. But if, but if I hear there's a song coming out next year, I'm not going to say, oh, that's a terrible song. Just because I don't like uh, mm. maybe the company putting it out, you know? Yeah, no kidding. You don't know yet. It's so true. Okay, and finally, you have also a YouTube page. Yeah, I do have a YouTube channel. My show is called Tales from a Retro Gamer. And if you just get on YouTube and okay. put in Brett Weiss, you'll yeah. find it. Because the name of my channel is Brett Weiss. Okay. And what I do is I talk about gaming, in the seven, mostly in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Just okay. what it was like then, how it's different from today. Right. Some really strange and interesting things that happened to me. Growing up gaming, you know, like discovering Pong for the first, <coughs> excuse me, for the first time, mm-hmm. um, experiencing the great video game crash of 1983. Yeah, I could only imagine. I was 16 years old in 1983. I had a car and a job, so I was driving around buying all these mm-hmm. dirt cheap games. You know, I was filling up. I had, I got to where I had over 80 ClickVision games because wow. I was buying them for anywhere from 4.99 down to 2.99. And at some point, some of these games got down to 99 cents a piece for the Atari and different systems. So I was game chasing before it was cool, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I have all these stories I tell. And, you know, I'll touch on some modern stuff, too. Like, 
I did a video on you know five my five favorite games, uh, Super Nintendo games that came on the Switch. Okay. Um, you know, I gave my opinion of the Xbox Series X title, you know, and the marketing for that stuff mm-hmm. like that. But mostly it's you know retro gaming. But uh, and I've done some Amico videos. My Amico videos get a lot of hits, which is promising, you know, for the interest in the console. And I'll do convention reports. I do a lot of video game conventions around the country. Okay, um, cool. Hopefully those will kick back up in the summer. You know, I've had the Midwest Classic. I was going to be a guest there for the first time, and it got canceled, of course. Right. But coming up, you know, there's the Video Game Summit in Chicago in July. There's um, I'm going to be at the Houston, surely, surely by uh, July, I and hope. especially by November, I'm going to be at the Houston Arcade Expo. So Sweet. surely life will be relatively normal by then. But anyway, I do a lot of conventions and do reports on those, and I talk about celebrities I've met and all kinds of stuff. I do some interviews, like I interviewed Pixel Dan and Gamester81 and some of these popular YouTubers and stuff. So all that kind of good stuff. If you like retro gaming and just pop culture in general, you probably like it. Just look for Brett Weiss on YouTube. So what about reviewing games? Are you ever interested? Have you ever dabbled in it? Do you think it's something you want to do eventually? I tend to just uh, stick to stories. I think that's what I'm best at. and. Mm -hmm. I don't have a super elaborate setup for gameplay footage and all that kind of stuff. Oh, gotcha. I don't have hours and hours and hours to do for editing mm-hmm. because, you know, my main job is writing and YouTube can't really take up a ton of time. I can't because it's, it's just for fun. Right? Like my videos aren't monetized or anything right now. No. I do have a Patreon page so I can um, offer some exclusives. And so I can pay my, uh, the guy that, you know, my, my son edits and records the you know the tales from retro gamer episode. And I nice. like to give him some money, you know, for his time. Of course, he's just doing it to be nice, and he's a good mm-hmm. kid and everything. I say kid, he's he's a school teacher. <laughs> but That's hilarious. It's great. I like to be able to you know take him to dinner and give him some a little extra sure. money for helping me. And it'd be nice if it blew up, but I mainly tell stories. That's just what. That's the main reason I started. There's plenty of people reviewing um, <clears throat> on YouTube. I'm going to leave that to them mostly. Um, like I did review Cra- Crazy Climber for the Switch because I had stories to go with it. Makes sense. And um, so it'll come up occasionally. I'll do some, but mostly it'll be telling stories because everybody reviews. What I want to do is use my unique position, or relatively, uh, un- I should say, unusual position of growing up during that time. You know, what was mm. it like that? And how does it compare today? What was it like growing up? When the NES came out, when I first played Super Mario Brothers, what was that like? Because all I had to compare it to was ColecoVision and, and, and everything else. Right. Now when people play NES, usually they've already played PlayStation or something. Mm-hmm. But I was there when Super Mario Brothers was the coolest, most exciting, most colorful, most cartoonish thing in the world. You know, So so I think I have an insight into the you know growing up with the industry. So that's what I want to focus on. Now, okay, how about in a perfect world where someone's like, hey, Brad, why don't you come on and be my co-host? You have to do nothing but play video games, and I pay you for it. Hey, if there's, <laughs> you know, sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm always up for that. Well, the, if I can get played to, paid to play video games, talk about video games, collect video games, sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how about this? I, I know this is a broad question, but in your opinion, if you could change one thing about video games, old school or current, what would it be? What, what's your one thing that you just hate that you always see in a video game? That's a good question. Um, I honestly don't know. I think I think the variety is there. I mean, you can buy classics collections for anybody that's interested in retro gaming. You can buy independent titles if you're interested in retro gaming. Mm-hmm. If you like the newer cinematic stuff, that's there for you. Uh, maybe just maybe in-game purchases are annoying. I'd probably say just get rid of those because once you bought a, bought something, it's kind of lame. Now, if, if if in-game purchases are 
are aesthetic. You know, they're just decorations. That's not that big of a deal. But if you buy a weapon, I don't like really the idea of of you're only going to really be good at this game if you can afford to buy these weapons and stuff. And even like Candy Crush doesn't bother me that bad. Those in-game purchases, I'm more talking about the console Mm -hmm. in-game purchases. If you've got this great game on your PS4 Mm -hmm. and the only way you're going to be really dominant at it is to pony up a bunch of money for the most powerful weapon. I don't like that kind of stuff. Just for a hypothetical example, I don't like that. So maybe in-game purchases to answer your question. No, that's a good one. For me, in my opinion, I'm going to go to retro. It's not that something I hate, it's something I want in every retro game now that gets released. The rewind feature. To me, that is such a great... Because I don't have the patience as I did when I was a child to play a level 15 times to figure out either the pattern or the nuances of it to clear it properly. I want the rewind button so then I could just rewind quickly and then do the jump properly or whatever it is that has to be done. Yeah, that's for for guys like us, that's definitely helpful because... Like you, man. When, I mean, I got the NES. I was already 20 when I got my NES in 87, okay. but I still wasn't married yet. I didn't have kids yet. So I had time. Right. And I could just, I would grind. I mean, I would, I would, you would get five levels in on certain games. And if you didn't beat the boss, you ran out of men. You had to go all the way to level one. Oh, I <laughs> and, hate like, ah, and you would just go through that and you'd get really good at those early levels. <laughs> I know, it's so true. D- don't even get me started on like games like Battletoads and stuff like that. Those are the oh, ones gosh. I'm talking about. <laughs> Painful. <laughs> I did beat Contra without using the Konami code Shut back up. in the day because I didn't know it, I didn't know the Konami code right. existed when I had that game. You know, I, oh. I got Contra shortly after it came out. Right. I didn't know there was a Konami code at the time. <clears throat> and right. I just played the heck out of that game over and over and over again until I beat it. Ghosts and Goblins. I was only get, I oh. could get far into the fifth level, <clears throat> far into the fifth level. Right, but I could never beat it. It was just too brutal. Yeah, that's one of the games still to this day. Even with because it's on both. I think they have whatever it's called, Ghosts and Goblins and Ghosts and whatever. Super Ghouls and Ghosts. Yes, all that. I got it on the mini. It's either on the Genesis one and the Nintendo one too. And both yeah. of them, it's like. Even with the save feature, and I know the minis don't have the rewind feature, which I think they should have added to it. But anyways, that's another moot point. But even with the save feature where you start a level with all these men, you hit the reset button, save the slot. I feel like I'm a 10-year-old again. Like, what's going on here? Yeah, I was just playing uh, Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze on my Wii U during this break. You know, being home and everything. Yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, even a guy that works at home has extra time now because there just seems to be extra time because I'm not going out as much. I'm not yeah. going places as much. So I have extra time That's to play games. Feeling. And I was playing yeah. Tropical Freeze. I felt like a kid. I was playing the same level over and over again to to try to get through it. You know, I say a kid, 20-year-old to me. I'm 52 now. A 20-year-old is a kid. That's I felt, insane. you know, think, when I think back to me being a 20-year-old, I was a kid. oh oh that's so awesome and again i I could talk retro all day it's my era it's what i grew up with even with music i'm the same way i'm stuck in the 90s with my with my genre of music because again you know you're sort of stuck i hate to say now that i'm older too it's it's so true my my dad told me everyone told me well maybe not my dad because he was never a big influence in my life but other people would tell me your golden years of life is what you're going to carry on and that's going to be what you're more attracted to. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm going to be hip. I'm going to be young to all this, this and that. I'm like, I can't do what the kids are doing now. Again, see, even I'm saying kids and I'm only 40, right. but it's like, oh, these guys were right. It's just a vicious cycle. When is someone going to stop right. it? <laughs> well, I try to stay, I try to keep a foot in the modern. I try to listen to a little music here and there sure. and play some games and stuff. But the stuff I truly love or the stuff, I mean, I still love Star Trek and yeah, Black Sabbath here. and... Yep. I still love um, 
you know, Star. I still love stuff from the seventies and eighties. There's mm-hmm. no doubt. Oh, that's awesome. Well, you ready for the dumbass of the week to close it off? Let's do it. Perfect. Okay. Well, I'm sure. Well, hopefully. Well, maybe not. But I used. I had a sick mom growing up, so I had to call nine one one on occasion every so often when she would have one of her spouts. But I'm sure everyone's probably heard of someone or has called nine one one in their life. I, I assume, right? That would make sense. Yeah. Now, as a kid, this is interesting. It has nothing to do with this story, but I, I did it as a. I'll have to admit, I did it once or twice. Did you ever call nine one one as a kid just a crank call? No, I was I was scared to do anything. Like <laughs> I, I could be kind of a. I I I'll admit that we did some pranks. Sure. But when it came to police or right. government or anything, I was nervous about that. But we did we did pull pranks. Oh my god! Because again, being a child, you don't know any better, and you just think, oh, they can't trace it back, so I'll just call, see what it's all about, and hang up. So I did that once, and then literally within five seconds, the phone starts ringing. To your point, I was so scared shitless, I fucking ran and hid under my bed because I knew I wasn't going to pick up. And my mom was a stay-at-home <laughs> mom, so she was going to eventually pick up and she's going to be like, what the hell's going on? And then pinpoint it to, obviously, it was me. So I always run. But that's the most craziest thing I've ever done to call 911. Now, th- this story is just crazy. Oh, I just thought of another one, actually. Be- being here in Toronto, we get uh, Amber Alerts on our phones now. I'm sure you guys get it in the States too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we got one the other, well, I'm saying other day, but it was probably like a few weeks back now. And it was, old, the other day is old speak for a few weeks or months ago. Right? <laughs> my son always tells me, I'll tell my son, I say, hey, the other day, he goes, dad, that was six months ago. <laughs> I'm like that too, though. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, a few weeks ago, we'll keep it at that. There was an Amber Alert that went out at like two or three in the morning. And obviously your phone, will, even if you have silent, it will still go off and it wakes people up. Yeah. Can you believe in the city of Toronto, a handful, now, I'm not even saying handful, maybe hundreds of people ended up calling 911 and complaining that they were woken up in the middle of the night. Mm, wow. That's the sort of so, people that are out in this world nowadays. Right. Yeah. Same people that are calling the uh, coronavirus a hoax probably. Right. Exactly. So <laughs> this one takes it even a step further. I don't know. We're saying kids, but this person is a full grown woman. So a 36 year old woman was arrested for calling 911 after parents do this to her, what do you think her parents did for her to warrant to call 911, if you had a guess? Um, take away her cell phone. Well, I guess you couldn't call Couldn't call if she didn't have a cell phone. <laughs> Maybe she used another phone. Um, um, uh, mm, um, turned out, grounded her for, for, from her computer. I don't know. No, you were right on the first one. They, they canceled her cell phone. And her cell phone, so I was right. So I guess maybe they still had a landline, so she called from there. Yeah, but, maybe they, she grabbed their phone or something. Okay, this person is a dumbass for two reasons. First off, for having parents that are still paying her cell phone bill at 36. <laughs> right. That's one off right there. And That's then second problem. off, it's true. Why would you call nine? What, what do you, what, do you want your parents to go to jail for getting rid of, like, what do you think is going to get done here? Like, this, this is right. why I call it dumbasses, because yeah. I, I don't understand how someone could think this is going to end well. I've also heard people with the virus going on. I've heard people calling nine one one when a store is out of toilet paper. Oh god! Legit, I know. And what's up with this toilet paper scandal thing that's going on? Like, I don't understand. Of all things, toilet paper, really? <laughs> yeah, is that, is that what's going to keep you safe? And the end of I didn't see Mad Max with toilet pa- tons of toilet paper. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. That people are more scared of not being able to clean their ass than eating. Like, how does that make sense to me? <laughs> right. 
Well, apparently there's plenty of toilet paper. The food supplies are fine. Yeah. There's plenty of water. Same it's thing. It's a matter of waiting yeah. it out. So. Yeah, same thing up here in Canada. Everyone is just yes. panicking. But people, I, I have to reiterate this, but maybe by this airing, who knows? Everything's back to normal. We, everything's day by day right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the thing is just wait it out, wash your hands, social distance. Yes. Uh, don't, don't go to crowded places, all that kind of stuff. Common sense. And here's the perfect thing. Even if you don't believe it, even if you're a conspiracy theorist, fine. You can believe what you want to. It's a free fucking country or it's a free uh, continent because we're in North America. Just do it for the sake of doing it because there are people out there that might contract it, might do whatever. It's not because it's not real. It's not because it's this. this it's to stop the spread. I don't know why people don't understand this. This is the most simple thing that everyone keeps promoting. Even government, doesn't matter, news outlets, it's to stop the spreading. Okay, fine. It's not as serious as you think it is. Fine, you can believe that. If it is very serious, stay home, even better. But just stop spreading it. That's it. That's the main point here. That's it. And it'll go away eventually. Thank you. And I don't understand why people don't get that. It's just... Crazy. Maybe the whole world should be dumbasses of the week. Yeah, (laughs) right. Oh man, okay. Well, Brett, I hope you had a good time on the show today. Oh, it's been great. Yeah, appreciate you having me on. No, I appreciate you coming on. Now's your time again. I know you plugged it a bit earlier, but plug it again. You can't plug more than enough. So, the floor is all yours, my friend. Yeah, just go to YouTube. I would really appreciate you subscribing to, to my channel. I'm almost to 1,500 subs, which nice. is which you know for someone that's just kind of new at it, which is pretty exciting. So, if you could subscribe to the channel, I'd really appreciate it. And you can find everything, all my books and everything, at brettweisswords.com. Perfect. And for myself, you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, under Finger Styles. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, the podcast app. Email us your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at the podcast app at gmail.com. Even if you want to submit a dumbass of the week that I miss, because everyone in different parts of the world, they have different outlets that they get their news from. So if it's something I don't know about, send it in and maybe I'll just say it on air one of these days. You never know. And obviously, the most important, rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms, but especially Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Rewind to the top of the show. Support those fine sponsors, because if it helps them out, it helps me out. All good, my friend? Sounds great, man. Perfect. On that note, he's Brett. I'm Steve. This is the podcast. Peace.